You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Show, episode 195. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often, and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Keystocks and on Facebook, and keep submitting your stocks via the usual social channels or at our website, keystocks.com, for our Your Stock Artake segment. And we just might review your stock in an upcoming show and let you know if it is a buy, sell, or hold. It's great to be back with you again this week, which has started out positive. uh, And the year in general started out positive on the heels of a death march for stocks that was 2022. We'll start with a brief discussion on the Canadian housing prices in 2022, which the Canadian Real Estate Association just reported this past week produced the biggest trough or peak to trough fall off since the group started compiling the data in 2005. I will start by answering a client question on in our Your Stock Our Take segment on a stock that should be very familiar to Keystone clients. It's been in recommendation under coverage for just under two years in our Canadian growth or small cap coverage. The business GeoDrill Limited, symbol GEO on the TSX, is a profitable dividend-paying drilling company with a large presence in West Africa and an emerging presence in Latin America. The company, which primarily deal, drills for gold, has seen its share price surge to start 2023 and is now up over 100% since our recommendation. I will let you know what is driving the stock. Aaron will answer a viewer question on Hut 8 Mining Corp, symbol HUT on the TSX, a digital currency, primarily Bitcoin coin mining and related technology solutions company. The business has seen its share price surge in 2023, but is still down approximately 70% over the past year. Aaron will let you know if HUT is an opportunity or just experiencing a dead cat bounce. Last and definitely least, in our Your Stocks, our take segment, Brennan answers a viewer question on Graphene Manufacturing Group, symbol GMG, an Australian-based company involved in the production of graphene, which is used primarily in paints, coolants, and lubricants, targeting to improve energy efficiency and additionally in next-generation battery technology. The viewer asks if graphene is a smart way to benefit from the surge in demand around new battery technology. Brett will close out our show by exploring the intriguing topic of behavioral finance, which is essentially the marriage of economics and psychology. So let's get to our show. I welcome my co-hosts, Aaron and the Killer Bees, Brennan and Brett. I can only see you partially because my eye is half shut. Uh, I said something that Aaron didn't like, and this is what he does. <laughs> that's right. Office. Yeah. And we're not even in the same city. So that's mm-hmm. how so he I was. got into his car, drove over for an hour and punched me in the face. It was I don't uh, blame him. well worth it. Yeah, uh, I broke decision. his leg though. Aaron best can't in, even stand up. So that's the investment of my time I've made in a while. So we don't even know if Ryan's picture is going to show up on the on the YouTube show because uh, or is video. Well, my eye is half shut. I got an infected. Or maybe eye we could just uh, like color in an eye patch or something. Like but I said, I could be a pirate, but the only yeah. thing I have is this. Pirate. That's a pretty big pirate patch. Maybe <laughs> Brett can color one in. <laughs> Looks good for for parents yeah. out there. Ladybug and Cat Noir. Yeah. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Nope. 
Aaron, oh, Brennan watches Ladybug. Come on, you do. You know that. Maybe, maybe. You got All me. right, so do we, we, we got a big show for you planned this week. So we do we want to get into one of the uh, hot-button topics this week, the Canadian housing prices 2022 going forward. Uh, this past week, the Canadian Real Estate Association reported that 2022 produced the biggest peak-to-trough falloff, about 13.2% since the group started compiling the data in 2005. Last year also saw the biggest decline for in a calendar year since the records had begin being kept, which was about 7.5% drop overall. Now, the rationale behind the declines uh, included essentially a record number of buyers using floating rate debt for purchasing uh, houses during Canada's pandemic era real estate boom. And those borrowers may come under increasing strain as rates have increased and mortgage costs remain relatively high. You pair this with a potential recession and commensurate job losses, it would make it harder for people to keep up with loan payments and, st and stay in their homes. Now, this is a worst case scenario, but most forecasters continue to ratchet up their expectations for Canadian housing declines uh, from the peak. Uh, an example, Desjardins recently increased their expectations for about a 25% decrease in Canadian housing prices from 15% that it had previously predicted. Desjardins, granularly here, Desjardins predicts New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, and PEI will bear the brunt of a sharply correcting market with prices falling 29, 27, 25% respectively from their peak in February 2022. Now, having said that, these Prices in these markets rose 71%, 67%, and 62% from December 2019 to February 2022. So uh, housing juggernaut markets like BC and Ontario, essentially Desjardins expects to fall 22 and 24% respectively from December their peak. But these, again, these housing prices in these markets rose from December 19 to February 22. They rose 43 and 58% on average, respectively, in those markets. Now, I always say forecasts are for idiots, and we can already see that initial forecasts from Desjardins have been adjusted only seven, several months later. So we should take these crystal ball predictions with a grain of salt. But the trajectory here continues to be weakness in real estate prices. It's good for Brennan, but not for the economy. Generally. Is it good for so Brennan? No. That that's what I, I want to know. So Brennan, Brennan is Brennan me. is looking. He's in the market to buy a house in Saskatoon. You've talked to the bank. You look at the market. Are you in a better position now than you were a year ago, or a worse? position? I think right at this moment in time, I'm technically in a worse position because we still haven't mm. seen housing prices really come off that much. Um, like I know in Canada, generally we saw the peak. Uh, in February, I believe, whereas in Saskatchewan and Saskatoon, I think the peak in housing prices was kind of in July. Uh, so it was a little lagged comparatively. Um, so, you know, like I've been saying on the podcast, we've only seen housing prices come down about six and a half percent from that peak in July. Um, but, you know, I can't afford as much of a mortgage at this point in time and housing prices really haven't pulled back. So right at this point in time, I am definitely in a worse. So Brennan will be situation. living in his parents' basement for a while. Yes, yes. <laughs> two thi two things there though. Um, there was only about three or four houses sold in Saskatoon <laughs> over that period, right? And which is a record. But um, <laughs> the other thing is too. I was talking about having a you know if there was a twenty percent correction, then Brennan would be in a better position. But yeah, yes. certainly the cost of carrying a mortgage uh, with higher rates is more difficult now. So. 
We'll see if it ends up being better for Brennan or not. And he will let us know for sure. And of course, Ryan's prediction at the beginning of the year was for a significant decline in housing markets across North America. What I find interesting is that this decline peak trough is the biggest that they've seen since 2005. So that includes the Great Recession when property prices declined. Although they didn't decline as much up here in Canada. I'm sure if you look at the US, this is not... The last year has not been the biggest, has not seen the biggest peak drop. No, they're talking Canadian prices. They're talking purely Canadian. And, 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 you know, particularly I remember in Vancouver, housing prices came down a little bit during the Great Recession, but not really a lot. Um, It was somewhat surprising, I suppose. For sure. So we're through that. Do we want to get to your stock RTX segments right away here? No delays, no delays, right? Good. All right, let's get to it. Geodrill first. Geodrill Limited, symbol GEO on the TSX. Uh, this was a company recommended in February 2021 at a price of $1.60. Stock's now $3.18, up 102% since our recommendation. And it's implemented over that time a solid dividend. A market cap is uh, $163 million, 2.02% yield. What does Geodrill do? They were established in 1998. They are a mineral exploration service company, two mining companies, primarily gold related in West Africa, Zambia, and Peru. It offers reverse circulation core, air core, deep directional, reverse circulation grade control, water borehole, underground mining blast hole, and horizontal drilling services. A lot of anything you need in terms of drilling uh, uh, for uh, exploration companies and uh, existing producers. Now, the company current its current fleet as at Q3 2022 is 75 rigs. That would be unchanged quarter over quarter, and additional rigs are being manufactured. Geodrill continues to expand globally, having signed its first ever contract in Chile this past quarter, as well as two new contracts in Egypt. The company's client mix is made up of senior, intermediate, and junior exploration companies. So, what is driving the share price? Number one would be strong financials, which we like. Revenues for Q3 2022 were up 29% to 35.2 million. Um, We saw net income up to 3.6 million or 8 cents per share. That's a 100% increase over the same period last year. Now, it generated a return on capital of 26%, return on equity of 18%, and ended the quarter in a net cash position of about 5.7 million. Second, we would say here is the surge in the price of gold, particularly uh, over the last couple months. From its lows in early November in the range of $1,630 US, gold has risen 17% uh, to $1,907 US. That is a significant rise in less than three months and bodes well for capital inflows into the sector in 2023. The more money that is raised in the sector, the more money goes into the ground drilling and a company like Geodrill can continue to benefit. Now, our take here. While the stock is up over 100% since our recommendation from a valuation basis, Geodrill currently trades at 4.5 times expected 2022 adjusted cash flow, 7.5 times expected earnings for this 2022 year. And Now, part of the client's question on Geodrill asked if we could give a quick comparison of what price a company like Geodrill may be acquired at if that were to occur. In terms of acquisition equivalents, there is not an exact comparison, but major drilling, uh, a large driller in the sector, the largest acquired a company called McKay Drilling Limited, a leading specialty drilling contractor based in Perth, Australia. 
for uh, around 80 million or approximately 75 million Canadian in 2021. This was approximately 4.7 times EBITDA. Now, GeoDrill will have more than double the EBITDA of McKay this year, likely. So it deserves a higher multiple in most cases, in most scenarios. GeoDrill currently trades at about four times 2022 expected EBITDA. We would not buy GeoDrill on a company or any company, essentially, based on a takeover target, as this is poor strategy. With GeoDrill, what we do know is it is likely to post record year in 2022. And given the gold pricing environment and contracts in hand, the company is positioned for growth once again in 2023. This has driven the share price higher over the past year and current execution from management is strong. We will fully update clients on the stock over the next week, but it definitely is one of our stars of the week uh, with the uh, share price appreciation that we've seen uh, just this year. You so that's interesting. I got you through that. You're going to be expanding into it's a beautiful eye. Sorry. There you go. Yeah. You, you say they're going to be expanding into uh, Chile. Oh, they're in Chile now. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be going. They are they're in going. Chile They've now. signed okay. their first contract. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. You're, you might be going to Chile. And, eh? uh, you going to visit them down there? Yeah. Well, that's my my wife's uh, my wife's family's from Chile, so I uh, I may be. You've been before. Right? Been several times. Several times, probably half a dozen times at least. Aaron has um, a gold so might company be going down, down there. It's chilling, drilling. They're drilling for. Although most of the mining is done in the north, and I've you know largely been in the center and the south. Um, but so is how long? So is this going to be part of their growth strategies to expand more in South America? Are they just going to geographic diversification in, in, is a huge part of their growth strategy getting you know mm -hmm. i mean they have a great business in like west africa but you know going into egypt going to other latin american countries also going into chile yeah it's definitely a a part of the strategy diversification for like for most businesses is a good strategy you know if you can do it profitably if they can identify markets where they can get a good profit margin in have an advantage uh they're a well thought of company in, in in the industry and you know they can bring existing customers that are drilling in those i mean that's part of what brought them to other countries like the the company there's they've got a business they're drilling with already in west africa somewhere and they say you're doing a great job here we're moving into this market say egypt for example uh why don't you supply us with a drill there we'll have a good contract and you know they've moved now some significant contracts in outside of West Africa, which is great for diversification and over time probably gives them better multiple because, you know, you need diversification if something is to happen in one of your markets. It's high risk if you're just in one market. Mm -hmm. just, just the same story for many types of businesses across many sectors, right? Okay, well, that's good. We've done GeoDrill. We've got two more questions to answer. Aaron's got one on Hut 8 Mining. I'll let you take that away. Yes. And I think this is a little bit topical because Hot8 is a crypto company, um, primarily a crypto mining company. And it's, um, I, I believe, one of the largest crypto mining companies on the public market. So a uh, lot of talk about crypto right now. Um, so it's good that we take a look at, at one, of the, one of the players in the space. So Hot8 Mining, it, it trades on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol HUT. I believe it also has a NASDAQ listing as well. Trades at $2.30 per share. It's about a $450 million market cap company. As I said, they're primarily a digital currency, a Bitcoin mining company. They also um, include in their company description 
that they have other related technology solutions and infrastructure for the digital economy. Uh, taking a look at the share price of this company, uh, down about 71% over the last year. So it's been a very tough ride over the last year for um, most technology companies. And crypto is uh, certainly no, uh, no exception, especially recently. There's been a lot of negative press in the crypto space. And Bitcoin's performance as well has been extremely lackluster, as we will see shortly. Now, this is a five-year chart of, of HUT 8. And we can see I actually got up to a all-time high of about $19 per share towards the end of 2021. So that was around the time that the that the tech market peaked out, that you know a lot of these high growth, more speculative areas like crypto peaked out. And it's pretty much been straight down since then with a couple bounces off the bottom like we've seen recently. Now, obviously, being a Bitcoin mining company, their wagon is uh, connected to Bit Bitcoin. Um, and Bitcoin has had very difficult year, um, very difficult 18 months down 67% from its highs. So right now, about 20, 21, 22,000 per coin US. Um, and that was down, that's down from its peak of over uh, 65,000 per coin. So very difficult for companies in this space to make any money when the currency that they're mining is, uh, is depreciating in value. But the question was really about um, whether or not it is an opportunity right now, given the crash in the crypto markets. Uh, a lot of times there's a saying that said that, you know, the best time to buy is when there's blood in the streets. So I think it's a very reasonable question to ask, um, where are the opportunities? Um, now, looking at HUD8, you know, you, with any company, you, you have to really start with the financials. What are they producing? A lot of people like to start with the story, um, but the financials really tell a story. Is the company producing revenue? Is it producing cash flow? So the first thing I notice about HUD8 mining is... Uh, negative gross profit margin for the most recent quarter and for the first nine months of 2022. So what is a negative gross profit margin? Well, the gross profit is essentially your uh, your revenue less your direct cost to produce that revenue. So if you're selling uh, widgets, for example, um, your gross profit on a widget would be whatever you're making off of the sale of that widget minus the, the cost of the labor to produce it the cost of the parts to produce it, the materials, and then the overhead directly involved in the production of that unit that can be associated to that unit. So you really rarely see a negative gross profit margin. Now, this is a completely different kind of business. I, I, I have to say that there's nothing more speculative, probably even there's, there's nothing more speculative than a company that is producing a negative gross profit margin. You, you rarely ever see this kind of a thing. And to kind of give an analogy, um, that would be like having a business where you um, you generate revenue by paying somebody. You generate $10 in revenue by paying somebody $15. So you go out to the market and you find customers by saying, I'll give you $15 if you give me $10 back. So every time you make a sale, essentially, you're losing money. Um, so we don't even need to look further down the income statement. This company is certainly not close to profitability in the current year. Uh, looking at the cash flow statement for the first nine months of the year, operating cash flow negative $82 million. So $450 million market cap company, probably burning about $100 million a year at this rate, just in operating cash flow. Now, that doesn't tell the whole story, though, because they also spent 
another $138 million on capital expenditures, plant and equipment. Now, I don't know exactly what this is, but this is part of the cash burn. So if you take that, that 82 million plus uh, 100 and 138, you're now well over 200 million or nearly half, probably around half the company's market cap burnt in cash flow, a negative cash flow just over the first nine months of, of a year. Um, certainly, uh, certainly something to be concerned about here in terms of how they're going to continue to operate as a going concern if, uh, if their market doesn't recover. Um, I did take a look at the historical financials. It does appear that the company did have a couple of years, 2019, 2020, where they produced um, a small amount of cash flow, about 14 million in 2019, 1.2 million in 2020. Um, but then in 2021, in spite of huge revenue growth, 174 million up from 40 million in the year before, they burnt through about 80 million in cash flow. Um, now, I know that uh, one of the things that the company does uh, from reading its press release, I understand, is when they mine Bitcoin, um, they don't necessarily sell it and convert it into cash. They hold it on their balance sheet. So that may be part of the reason why they produce negative cash flow in 2021 in spite of $48 million in reported operating income. I don't know. But the fact of the matter is most, uh, most businesses, vendors, suppliers don't accept Bitcoin right now. And when you're holding Bitcoin... You're holding, obviously, a very volatile commodity, as we've seen um, with the price of Bitcoin and where it's gone over the past 18 months. So we're not in the business of trying to predict where uh, cryptocurrency prices are going to be. I think that that's, you know, it's a fool's errand. Um, so we cannot really look at the crypto that they have on their balance sheet and consider that cash um, just by marking to market it. So. Where do we go from here? Is this an opportunity? Uh, I would say no, certainly by doing my financial analysis, all I'm seeing is risk and speculation. It's not a company I would personally buy. And just as a overall um, commentary on the crypto space, I really believe that we're coming into what's called, what's going to be called or is called a crypto winter. Um, what that means is when you call a, a technology, you say it's going into a winter, you essentially mean that interest is dying in the technology. There's going to be no innovation. There's not going to be a lot of investment. And I think that's what we're facing for crypto right now. There have been a, a, a large number of, um, of pieces of, of negative press that have come out on the space. The biggest thing, of course, is FXT, which is the large crypto exchange um, run by Sam Bankman-Fried, SBF, who... That, that, that's a major bankruptcy, absolutely billions and billions of dollars lost. A lot of what were considered to be smart venture capitalists looking very foolish investing in this. Um, Sam SBF um, arrested. I believe he may be in jail or maybe out on bail. I'm not really sure. But that's really at the top of the headlines. But it's not the only thing. There, there have been other. I think Coinbase is facing a multi-hundred million dollar fine. There have been other bankruptcies. Just a lot of negative press. And my understanding is that investors don't want to touch it right now. And I'm not talking retail investors in the stock market, although I think that my statement also applies to them. I'm talking uh, venture capital investors. Um, there's just no money that's going to go into cryptocurrencies over at least the, the foreseeable future here, given all of the negativity that, that's come out. So um, I don't think that uh, there's going to be any turnaround for, for this space uh, anytime soon, certainly not in the current year. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that digital currency doesn't have its have its place. But, you know, what we also have to understand is that we already use digital currency because if 
fact of the matter is we, we don't have, you know, most people don't use cash anymore. Um, the currency that we use is electronic. The difference between crypto and the digital currency we use is that crypto is supposed to be outside of the control of government. But uh, it's a very complicated space. Um, people have tried to understand it. They've absolutely lost their shirts from an investment perspective. So my view is that the market's going to take a pause on giving any credibility. And I think that there's potentially further downside to come. Yeah. No, I, I do think that they are, you know, crypto companies are kind of going into a crypto winter. Like I know not too long ago, Binance, which was essentially the primary competitor to FTX, uh, was also having essentially like a bank run uh, on a lot of uh, the, you know, accounts essentially or funds that people had deposited uh, within their accounts. So, you know, the CEO of that business was saying that, you know, this is something we've that we've seen before, but is keeping a close eye on it because um, I believe um they saw outflows of over about 1.14 billion, um, you know, just essentially due to, you know, the risk and, and people getting a little bit worse. Well, there's, there's people that space. have put their money, they put money in these exchanges and then the money's just gone. So how is yeah. that, even if you have another exchange that is legitimate, how are people going to trust it? I mean, it's still a very unregulated industry mm-hmm. for the most part. And it's just the, the, the trust has been, has, has evaporated, I think. From a perspective of users or people that are going to use these exchanges, but then also from the perspective of people that are going to invest in it as well. What I what I'd say about like this segment is, and and a company like Hade, it's going to follow the price of Bitcoin. Um, I, you know, there, there was a time I think in December where about like sixty three percent of their market cap was in essentially held in the the price of the crypto, the Bitcoin that they held. Um, they, I think of the, like the Marathon Digitals had a riot hive, I think in Bit Digital. Bit Farms. Um, they are, have had the largest um, amount to their market cap of uh, Bitcoin in the bank. Now, so it just, to me, like a gold company. In that case, why not just buy some Bitcoin if that's what you want to yeah, invest it's in? It's true. Right? And, and like that's, you've seen the price of Bitcoin this year has actually, you know, had a significant rally. I think year to date Bitcoin is up like 28%. I mean, down massively last year, but year to date to start this year up significantly. So, you know, if, if Bitcoin is up this year significantly, a company like Hot8 probably does better, right? But I mean, it's just going to follow the price of like, like a gold stock follows the price of gold. Likely in this case, it's going to fall. But there are some other, as I understand, their growth in mining has come down, right? So the, uh, but the amount of Bitcoin that they've been mining too. So. There's some concerns with the company outside of that. Like it would be a, I mean, it, this is not completely direct comparison, but if a mining company is producing less, even if the price of gold is going up, it can go up with the sentiment, but the underlying fundamentals of the business isn't good if you're producing less or the growth rate comes down. Any other so thoughts I, on that, Brett? Yeah, I, I can comment quickly on a yeah. couple of things here. Because before I actually was at Keystone, I wrote quite a few articles on uh, Bitcoin miners. So I do have a bit of a background in it. First of all, HUD uh, 8 about right now, it's about 50% market cap is in Bitcoin. Yeah. But uh, second on the gross income, what you'll see them commonly state is their uh, cost to mine Bitcoin in electricity cost is about $10,000. Depends on the miner, depends on where they're mining at probably between nine and 11,000 for the most part for these self mining uh, Bitcoin operators. But then on top of that, you have the depreciation of their ASICs, which are 
the machines that are mining the Bitcoin. You can think of them as the pickaxe or the excavator in a gold mining scenario. scenario. But this yeah. year for those ASICs, many of them have went to about a fifth of the value. So even <laughs> bigger drop than Bitcoin itself. So you'll see these massive depreciation numbers or fair value adjustments for them. Some of them are defaulting purposely on the loans, which they had to secure these equipment. HUD ain't not in this case, but there's a few other companies. And they're purposely defaulting because the equipment itself is so cheap. So you're seeing quite a few of these companies restructure their finances. They might do well if Bitcoin goes up. I've always wrote in the articles, which I did write, that if, if you don't believe in Bitcoin, these companies are not for you. They're well more speculative than gold, silver, any of those rare metals. So yeah, no, like there there is a bit of an operational difference between them. So HUD 8, I would say their balance sheet is stronger than quite of these other few. They don't have any loans. Many of them did take on loans. They secured their equipment through um, various uh, loan structures, or they just took out debt and they bought Bitcoin, which in many cases, some of these have went to other. A recent bankruptcy for a miner was uh, core scientific, and they actually had the biggest hash rate out of any of these companies. Which is the rate that they can essentially mine Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Hash rate? Yeah. Yeah. Hash rate is... The other so thing which let I, me let me yeah. ask you this then yeah, is that an opportunity for a company like Hut Eight because my understanding is that as more competition comes into the mining space it becomes harder to mine Bitcoin right for each operator so if we're seeing some companies um, go bankrupt essentially um, due to poor balance sheets is that then an opportunity for whatever companies are remaining to essentially get better performance from their their mining operations. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what some of them are doing is obviously they are Bitcoin believers to whatever varying extent. And HUD-8 in this case is the issue with them is they held the Bitcoin down. Other ones were selling as they go. Not many of them. Most of them were holding like HUD-8, but some of them did sell as they went down. And now they're in a position to buy up these cheap basics. They're planning on expanding their uh, hash rate. And the other thing which we should note is, which I mentioned, I think, in... um. It was our uh, New Year special is the halfenings coming up, and that will just directly cut in half all the revenue. It will keep the cost the same, cut the revenue in half, and that's in about a year and a half from now. That's for Bitcoin. So these companies, yes, for Bitcoin specifically, yeah. and all these cryptocurrency mining companies are effectively exclusively Bitcoin at this point, ever since Ethereum switched to proof of stake, mm. so they can no longer mine it, which HUD-8 was doing, so they actually had a nice, juicy uh, revenue uh, coming in that was cheaper to get up until uh, September now. of 2022. And now it's just gone. I think they were about 10 to 20% uh, Ethereum. Some companies were more and some just didn't touch it. That's so basically very interesting. Is 90% of your portfolio. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually leveraged. So I'm, uh, I think about so 10 times right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, um, I, I, I go on a. Uh, I, I I did FTX. Uh, I'm at 110 percent leverage. It's, I think it's, right it's, now. It's a complicated space, and, and as you're also as you're explaining here, I mean, like you, you take a look at Ethereum. You know, a lot of companies were making money mining Ethereum. Then all of a sudden, they changed the way that the cryptocurrency operates. Mining doesn't exist anymore. My understanding is it's not as easy to do with Bitcoin. But you're saying that there's other issues upcoming with Bitcoin, and then that also doesn't include uh, you know negative regulation on cryptocurrencies from countries like China or other places as well. So it's very difficult to predict what's going to happen. So once again, if you're a believer, maybe you just buy Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. trying to, sorry. 
flavor by Bitcoin. Uh, if yeah. you like the operations of the company, if you like the balance sheet, you can switch shift that way. Yeah. But yeah, we, we should move on before I rant some more. <laughs> <laughs> For oh, sure, we're rant. good. Uh, Graphene Manufacturing Group, GMG on the TSX. Got a couple questions on this company. Brennan's going to take a look and see if there's anything here that we would see. Yes, and I swear I didn't plan this. This just actually happened. Um, Our beloved uh, Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, was actually in Saskatoon yesterday. Pardon? Why? I know. I'm... (laughs) I won't even repeat that. But our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, was in Saskatoon. Uh, essentially you don't have visiting to repeat it. We're going to take the a, sound uh, bite, Brennan. A, a rare earth elements processing plant in Saskatoon, which uh, I believe we just developed. Um, and essentially, uh, this rare earth elements processing plant uh, will look at, you know, lithium, graphite, nickel, cobalt, copper, uh, as well as a lot of other me- uh, metals. Um, so he was there. You know, doing a little an amazing photo op. Do we even like? Right? Do we have exactly. much rare earth mining in Canada currently right now? I mean, it's pretty minimal, right? Most of it is I believe in it's, China. It's quite minimal, yes, from my understanding. But I believe that this is like one of the first large, um, you know, processing plants essentially of this mm-hmm. nature. Uh, so you know, he was making his tour. But you need to uh, mine the ore first before you can process it. So. This is true. This I'm is sure true. there's a plan for that. And I do know, I mean, this is off topic kind of, but I know our premier Scott Moe was uh, really, he wasn't very happy because he wasn't uh, informed that Trudeau was going to be here. So anyways, anyways, okay. You're sure there's a plan for that, Aaron? You're sure? You're sure there's a plan for that? Maybe. Guaranteed. Eh, I never said it was a good plan. I just said it was a plan. Maybe a plan will take care of itself. Don't worry. You don't have to plan that. Okay. (laughs) So you should be able to see my screen now. Uh, So yes, this question came in from Alan and he says, I know there is a lot of work underway on new battery technology. I was surprised to hear about all the various elements that are under consideration. One development underway has caught my attention and that is the Graphene Manufacturing Group, GMG on the TSX Venture. Could your staff look at this stock? Uh, So yes, we can. Graphene Manufacturing Group, GMG on the TSX Venture. Uh, currently trading at a price of $2.30 and has a market cap of about $194 million. So the company is an Australian-based company involved in the production of graphene used primarily in paints, coolants, and lubricants, targeting to improve energy efficiency. As well, uh, they are starting to look into the next generation of battery technology uh, with graphene um, or graphite. Uh, So it's clean technology solutions and energy storage products are enabled by graphene manufactured in-house via a proprietary production process, which essentially decomposes natural gas into its elements and produces high quality, low cost, scalable, tunable, and low to no contaminate uh, graphene. So um, essentially the company has two segments here. So in the energy saving segment, the company is focused on its Thermal XR, uh, which is a graphene enhanced HVAC R coating, essentially is an energy saving paint. And from, and from my understanding right now, this is where all of the current revenue is coming from. Now they also have their G lubricant, uh, which is in development and is a graphene enhanced lubricant additive that seeks to reduce fuel consumption and carbon emissions by reducing internal friction in energies. And right now a formalized trial is being developed jointly with Rio Tinto to build the business case for adoption of G lubricant into Rio Tinto mining operations. 
Who knows if that'll ever happen though. And then as well, they also have in development their G coolant, which is a graphene enhanced engine coolant that seeks to improve the thermal efficiency of engines. So their other segment is the energy storage segment. Uh, and uh, GMG and the University of Queensland in Australia are essentially working collaboratively uh, with financial support from the Australian government to progress further research and development and commercialization of graphene aluminum ion batteries, uh, including a coin cell as well as a pouch cell battery. Uh, and as of right now, GMG can develop and test its own uh, in-coin cell and pouch cell graphene aluminum battery uh, or batteries in-house. Um, but, you know, it's still a little bit ways from development and the company is working on a strategic roadmap to the commercialization uh, of uh, these uh, batteries, essentially. So uh, there was some recent operational updates. So the first was on December uh, 12th of 2022, and they provided an update uh, essentially that uh, the board has approved an additional $600,000 Australian in capital uh, to accelerate the progress of their semi-automatic pouch cell prototype production uh, in the battery development center. Um, and this additional equipment is expected to be operational in Q2 of 2023. On December 1st, the company closed a $5.7 million bought deal at an issue price of about $2.75. And the company intends to use the net proceeds of the offering for growth initiatives, working capital, and general corporate purposes. And then on October 11th, uh, the company provided the latest progress and performance update on its graphene aluminum ion battery technology uh, being developed by the company. And you can look at you know the, the results here. I'd go into them, but really, you know, they are over my head and I won't even pretend to understand exactly, uh, you know, the results here. So looking longer term in the meat or looking at their medium term, essentially, the company is focused on transitioning from R&D to commercialization of the graphene aluminum ion batteries. As well, the company will continue to invest in new product development and graphene enhanced lubricants. So finally, let's take a look at the financials. So all of these are in Australian dollars. So as you can see uh, in the last quarter, Q1 of 2023, revenue was up substantially from a low base to 230,000. Adjusted EBITDA was a loss of 2.6 million. Uh, as well, uh, we saw adjusted earnings at a loss uh, and um, gap EPS at a loss as well, uh, which isn't good. And looking at the balance sheet, they had about 8.4 million uh, in cash with no debt, but keep in mind, this does not include the most recent equity raise of 5.7 million. So to conclude for us, graphene manufacturing group is just too early for an investment. There is potential, but in my opinion, the company hasn't moved from a concept to a business yet. Again, there remains potential, but it is definitely speculative potential at this point in time, considering the lack of revenue, profitability, and the need for additional R&D to prove out its G-lubricant and graphene alum aluminum ion battery. Uh, so, you know, we'll monitor the progress here on uh, their products. Um, but right now, we would avoid the stock entirely. Yeah, um, uh, 250000 in revenue in the last quarter. And they have a market cap of... Uh, what did you say? 187. It was million, 194. Like million 194 million. So that's what their market cap is. I mean, 
it's fine. That's just, you're just pure speculation on what this company can achieve in the future. There's nothing really there in terms of revenues right now. I mean, just a juxtaposition. I'm not saying these companies are comparable at all, but we talked about another small cap geo drill today, which is unit share price rise 100% over the last year. Well, its market cap is 164 million. Um, it, I mean, the company did 185 million, I think, in trailing revenues over the past year. It'll do around 40 million in EBITDA this year, and you're paying less for that company significantly. Like it's not even comparable. I mean, there's no earnings, no cash flow, no dividend. And for the graphene company, um, it's a concept right now. Maybe it will do well. If you have 15 to 25 concept stocks like graphene in your portfolio, good luck over the next five to 10 years. Uh, you will do terribly. Uh, I'm not saying that graphene will do terribly, but if that is your criteria and you look at these individual stocks like that, but if you put in 15 to 25 companies with good cash flow, good earnings, uh, good revenues, trading at reasonable valuations, you have a fighting chance to beat the market over that time. You don't, if this is uh, one, you know, the type of company that you, or the profile of business, not necessarily this company in general, but the profile of business that you put in your portfolio, um, uh, you're not going to do well over the long term. Now we're going to get to Brett's segment. All right. So I'm going to go into behavioral finance and some of the biases of it. So you're probably asking, what is behavioral finance? Well, it's really the marriage between economics and psychology. Effectively, it tries to explain why people make financial decisions and why often they're really irrational. Because in traditional finance models, we assume people are rational. If you've ever talked to a person for 10 minutes, especially Brennan here, it's not rational. You have no idea what he's thinking and why he does things. So, and behavioral finance obviously tries to fill this gap because as we all, all know, humans aren't perfect unless you're Aaron because we all know he is perfect, but I'm not sure he's always human. So mm, the point of point. really understanding these biases is because then you can limit the impact of them on your investing choices and eliminate the negative impact of them. So let's get into a few of these concepts and biases. First up, herd mentality. Herd mentality is the bias where you follow the herd of the others around you. A very recent example of this is that early 2020 meme stock frenzy, which many people who had no experience in stocks, no knowledge of the company or anything about it past it's a video game retailer. They might have went into it as they were a kid or an adult like me who has plays too many video games. And they went and invested in it. They have no idea why they would invest in it past. Others are doing it. They're following the herd. Everyone sticks together and then they move together. Another example of this a bit uh, more in the past is the dot-com bubble, where any company with a dot-com in their name, everyone was buying. Everyone wanted to be part of that group that owned the new Google. Well, at the time, it wasn't really the new Google, but the future Google. So a good way to avoid this is just simply thinking why you're investing. Are you following it because some influencer said it, some person you like said it, because Brennan said it? You want to examine why you're buying the stock and not just because it's the new hot topic. So next up, let's look at loss aversion. Loss aversion is why when people irrationally avoid potential losses, potential losses, uh, they feel more negative compared to potential gains, how good they feel. So you'll feel a lot worse when you lose, let's say, $10 than it would be to feel good from winning $10. So if you made a bet of, let's say, the $10, and uh, Ryan bets Brennan, 
Ryan winning, that's pretty expected. He's going to feel all right. It's going to be good. But then if he loses to Brennan, he's just going to feel awful and devastated and never want to do anything again. And he's just going to carry that with him for the rest of his life. That's loss of aversion. So most people really, they they will do this uh, subconsciously. I've done it myself. And that's what I mean by recognizing these things in yourself is you want to really see what you're doing with your own investing actions and try to avoid them in the future. So the next one, which is a big one, which people really like to not ever mention in their analyst reports is anchoring. Anchoring is when they you anchor yourself to a certain value. So it's normally the first piece of information or number you see, or it's from pre-existing knowledge. So stores commonly will do this. They'll put something on sale for, they'll say it's a sale for $100. I'm sure you've all seen this on a Black Friday on Amazon where they're saying it's on sale for from $100, the initial price, and it's on sale for $20. You're anchored to that $100. It's such a good deal. And the same thing can be applied to stocks. So if an IPO is at $100, and now six months later, it's trading at $20. We've seen this before many times. And you're thinking, oh, it's on sale. It must be worth $100. That's what it IPO'd at. And really what you can do to prevent this is just do more research. See why it was initially at $100. Maybe it was a hot IPO market like we were seeing in 2022 and 2021 and my cat's crawling all over me right now always good fun there get him pixel and yeah and it, so you really want to avoid being being irrational is just to check your pre-existing assumptions you'll see this commonly as well uh in analyst reports they'll anchor themselves to let's say tesla is going to be a thousand dollars a share they don't want to re- readjust they're anchored to that thousand dollar value they, do, they don't want to make themselves look bad and you'll see this time and time again. And they'll slowly come down as the stock comes down. And so, yeah, let's move on to overconfidence. It's perhaps probably more prevalent in young people. I all the time would hear, You're, this stock's going to 1000 in my undergrad. And it really is, you're just overconfidence in your own ability. So once you learn a bit, you get over that tiny bit of knowledge. You're saying, oh, I'm a genius. I, I'm going to become the next Warren Buffett. I'm, I'm going to be rich in the next year. And it leads to people making very risky investments because they know it's going to work out. You see this in the hedge funds. You see leveraged hedge funds. Let's take uh, one of the cryptocurrency hedge funds, um, Three Arrows. They were leveraged up the wazoo. And what comes out, they crash down. They take a ton of creditors with them. And commonly, the uh, overconfident people on the retail side, they'll trade a lot and they try to time the market. So you always see on forums and online, when's the bottom when's the bottom we're waiting for the bottom and they keep trying to trade into it and what do you do you lose more money and that's really what keeps on happening with overconfidence there's a bunch of other um effects of being overconfident and i'm sure you'll quite commonly see them in yourself or other people so just as a quick conclusion you really want to just recognize your own biases and how they apply to your investment habits and of course, if you can't overcome the negative impact, but you're always going to be susceptible to them unless you're Aaron. Wow. Well, thank Sucking you. Sucking up to Aaron words. and Ryan. Yeah, no, I, I think that. Throwing that, Brennan under the bus. That, uh, well, that actually means that he likes Brennan and, and, uh, and is secretly making fun of me. I think he yeah. and Brett might have to go head to head next week in a debate. I think Ooh, the like, next uh, one's a black eye. <laughs> you know, the thing, the thing, the value the that eye. I see in behavioral finance is it teaches you how your own mind works. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people might think, like, oh, can I use behavioral finance to um, pick stocks or or to pick investment themes? Uh, maybe to avoid them. 
Um, but it really, it, it, it behavioral finance helps you understand how your own mind works. And it can certainly, by understanding how your own mind works, it, it can help you make better decisions by reviewing yourself. I mean, if you have a checklist, you know, um, of the different behavioral finance bias biases and you, you look at them from the perspective of whether or not you are making a decision based on those, um, I think that that can be very useful in terms of keeping people out of trouble. Agreed. Even like a trading journal or something, just like even when you do potentially make a mistake to like write down, you know, what was going through your mind at this time, why you acted that way, you know, just so you can reflect and look back and, you know, make sure that you're not coming to uh, some of these potential biases as well. You know, Mm -hmm. it's good to be Mm self-reflective. Yeah, I'll tell a quick story before we get out here. Um, People's psychology in terms of investing and how they how they think about loss uh, in, in some cases. I had I did a speech, I remember, in Calgary, and I had this uh, woman, an elderly woman, come up to me in the middle. Uh, it was after the speech. Uh, you know, you get surrounded. Sometimes you're getting questions. Uh, she comes up and walks up the middle, and, and she says, Ryan, uh, I'm just sick. I'm just sick. Uh, I brought ceramic protection, and I'm just sick. Ceramic protection was a company that it, it <laughs> we recommended a dollar, and it went to $40, right? And, and so... I think it was in the $30 range then. And I said, I was thinking in my head, how could you possibly have be sick on that? You should be ex- extremely excited. I thought, did she somehow buy it 40? And it went, you know, like, which we were not recommending to buy then. We had like recommended to sell. Um, now she said, well, no, no, I bought it at a dollar when you recommended it. And I said, okay, well, it's at $30 now, right? And she said, yeah but I had it at $40. I've lost $10 per share on it. I'm just sickened by that thought. And I looked at her, the whole crowd looked at her like aghast because she'd actually made hundreds of thousands of dollars off that one investment. And, um, and she just said she, but she was literally sickened. Like you could see it in her face, how she felt about, she could have had $10 more per share and she was sickened. And I said, well, we, are you a client of ours? Cause we had said to sell it, right? She was asking me what to do. And we said, we would sell it. You have a tremendous profit right there. She goes, oh no, no, no. I'm not a client of yours. Cause I wrote a uh, column that was in the Calgary Herald then. And he, she had saw me mention it in there. And she said, I can't afford your services, but I just want your advice. Right. It was just every, the whole crowd kind of laughed, had a laugh and said, okay. Cause somebody turned to her and said, you know, you've made several hundred thousand dollars you can probably afford their services, but it's the way people look at that. She booked a loss in her set head of, of $10 per share when, you know, it's, you know, honestly, somebody that's looking at the markets like that probably shouldn't be in the markets. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's not making them feel good when they've made a tremendous gain. If she actually had a loss, I don't know how, you know, she would actually be rad. Mm-hmm. That'll end the show yeah. for us this I week mean, though. Or did you have something you of- want to say? Or is there another segment I forgot about? I don't know. Mm. You never, that could happen. Right? No, no, no. I was just going to say a lot of the time in the market, you are going to leave more money on the table, you know, and, you know, you can't, you know, beat yourself up over that, uh, even though, you know, you've made a tremendous gain. Um, anyways. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Send her away. Without a doubt. All right. Keep your questions coming into our Your Stock Our Take segments. Uh, if, you've, if you're listening to this on iTunes, rate and review us on there. If you are watching us on our podcast, smash the uh, subscribe button. And as always, I'd like to wish you profitable investing. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.